when we think about home, what comes to mind? Where is your home? Perhaps it's a place where we go back to rest. Maybe it's a place where we had all of our childhood memories. Think about where is your hometown? Where are you from? Where's your back? You know, when I've been asking, where is my home? So one thing about me, you may not have known, um, we actually moved up about nine years ago to the Bay Area. So I'm not originally from the Bay Area. This is not, I don't refer to this as my, my home. I come from a, what I call a very different state called Southern California, where I moved up from. It's very different. Because so, for me, that's where my childhood memories were, or are, <laughs> were, are. And that's where my family is. So when I go home for, for holidays, when I go see my family, I always go back down to home. And, but to, for me, sometimes, maybe for where your home is, is not here as well. We may have things to help us remember where home is. Little mementos, perhaps memorabilia. Uh, remember you have some magnets on a refrigerator or pictures, perhaps videos that we can have to look at. To, that can remind me, that's where my home is. But not all the things that we do, or we have, all memorabilia or mementos, or actually all little objects. They perhaps could be things that we do, perhaps a tradition, or perhaps a habit. One of the habits that I do to help me remember where my home is in Southern California is, I, at least in basketball, where every time there's a game on that's on ABC, because I don't have to pay for it, because I don't have cable, especially when the Lakers are playing, what I do is I have to watch. Because it reminds me, as I do that habit all the time, this is where I'm from. I'm not from the Bay Area. Sorry, Warriors fans, right? But I am from Southern California. This is what I do. I root and cheer for the Lakers. And this, now, that's not a memento. That's, that's my memorabilia. That's how I remember where my home is. And perhaps, what about you, though? What, what do you have to remember where home is? Perhaps when we're looking around these decorations, looking at this Lunar New Year, for some, when you celebrate Lunar New Year, that's how you remember where home is for you. Or perhaps when we were looking through, I mean, we were learning about the ways they remembered home back in Scripture, when we learned about the, the origins of where Hanukkah was from, when they were to light those candles up and to remember all the time with God's faithfulness, it was how the Hebrew nation, how the Jews, they remember that's where our home is. Because as we've been going through this series in Daniel, called In Between Two Worlds, is to remember that we are not home yet. And so that when we had prayer and we had prophecy, they were just given to the, the, the readers and the original readers to remember that where you are at in Babylon, that is not your home. Because for Daniel, when he was a teenager, when, as he was growing up in Jerusalem, and then Babylon comes up from the east and overtakes them, he is marched across the land in chains, across to the desert, into Babylon, and then indoctrinated with everything that they were teaching them and try to get him to forget about where his home is. And he couldn't take anything with him. But all he had was what God was able to give him, which is his ability to pray. And so prayer became his memento. Prayer became his memorabilia to remember that my home is not in Babylon. My home is not in Persia. My home is back where it is destroyed. And that's why I'm going to pray to remember, and I will remember to pray, because that is where my home is. And so that when he was in distress... When he was able to see his friends tossed into fiery furnace, when he himself was going to be persecuted, when he told you could not pray anymore, and anytime he would pray, it would have hope 
in the distress, because this is not my home. My home is not just Jerusalem, but my home is up in heaven. And so every time he were able to read, others will see this hope in this literature. And he was always praying. And what we were learning in this last week with Pastor Josh was sharing, as we were continuing the series of In Between Two Worlds, is that he's almost about to go home. He's been praying for the 70 years of being in exile are about to come up, or coming up. So I, okay, we, let's go confess our sins. Let's get ourselves ready because we are going to go back. And God had used the Hebrew nation to be in the exile. I mean, the very name of the word Hebrew that I've learned, it literally means sojourner, somebody who is just passing through. And so they were to remember, when we look at our name, the way how God named us as a whole nation, that we're just going through to, from Babylon or to, at Persia by, by now, that we're just passing through. This is not your home. And so, so God used them as an example, as the chosen people, so that when we see them as a person, it's to remind us that as we are going through life, this is not our home. We are still just, we are just passing through. In, in the way we titled the series, In Between Two Worlds, it means we're not home because we're in between two worlds. We're not in this world. We're not in the other world. But ever realized we're all living in between two worlds, but not everybody knows that we are living in between two worlds. Because this earth, the home, is temporary. And we tend to forget that a lot. Maybe it's because it's so far out that, you know, the, the, our home is so far away. Like, I can't even imagine what heaven would even be like. Where, where, where is heaven even? And we forget, we realize that we're not there yet. And that everything we have here is completely temporary. But even us this morning have, do we realize that we're all in exile? This earth is actually a temporary home for us, that we are still in between two worlds. And it helps to remember, because as Daniel was remembering, it's like, even when they were, when he was trying to hold on to his faith, and they were trying to indoctrinate, they were trying to change him, say, this is all temporary, because I'm going to go home one day. And the pain and the sorrow that we feel, that, you know, that you and I are experiencing even in our lives, those are all temporary, because one day when we are in heaven, there is no more pain, there is no more sorrow. So long as the things that we experience are not so well, but even the blessings that we have in life, the good that happens, God gives us in life, those are all temporary as well. It doesn't make it any less real, but we are all in exile. If being God so good, I, I've wondered this before, then why doesn't God just take us up right now? Why doesn't God just bring me home? And I realized, if we were all to be brought home as soon as we received Christ as our Savior, we would never have heard the gospel. God leaves us where we are because there are people who do not know that they are living in between two worlds. They believe that this world is all that there is, and God is not done. The reason why we are still experiencing everything we have in this world is because God needs us. Who knows that we are not living in between two worlds? that we can go tell others that they are, that there is a, there's, 
you're not home yet. And there's a God that loves you, that wants this relationship with you. That's why I'm here to tell you about it. So that's why we, as we're living in between two worlds, we remember to pray. And we pray to remember. And we, we forget that we are not home yet. That's when we need to pray, which is what Daniel was praying about, that we are going to be home. So if you have your Bibles, I've got I to get into the passage now. In Daniel chapter 9, in verse 20, we see his prayer. Whether you open up in your Bibles or whether in, in the Bibles are in front of you as well, he's been praying, we're about to go home. We're going to go home to Jerusalem. We confessed our sins that we learned that last week. But in verse 20, as we were waiting, as they've been, but as, as a physical illustration of God that they were just passing through this life, he says, while I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my plea before the Lord my God for the holy hill of my God, while I was speaking in prayer, the man God whom I had seen in the vision at the first came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice while he was still praying the angel comes i, I love that part which is wow because he's always praying he's always been wanting to just to think about home it, it uses this memento this memorabilia to remember that we are gonna go back and it's about to come now it's the end towards the end of the 70 years that they've been waiting for and daniel has always been praying when asked to interpret a dream from the king, he goes to prayer. Right before, when they have the decree that no one is allowed to pray to any other god except for in Persia, he's still praying. And now here we see, while he was still praying, he gets an answer. And a lot of times about prayer, one of the things we don't realize is that God actually answers all of our prayers. I don't know if we knew that or not this morning. And here we'll see how God answers specifically for Daniel. And just a little sidebar is God always answers our prayers within just four ways. The first is that if when we pray to God and we have a request, the answer, the first answer is yes. That is in my will and he will answer to us. The second way that God answers our prayers is, it's, uh, he says yes and some. <laughs> That's my favorite actually. He says, yes, because we ask God, and maybe we won't have enough of the faith. Like, okay, let me grant you that plus some. The third way that God answers our prayers is no. No is an answer. Because that's not it within his will. That's not good for you. Why would God give you something that is not good for you? I mean, he knows better than we know. And so his answer would just be no. And the fourth way that he answers very similar to how he answers for Daniel, is wait. Not yet. If he were to answer that now, you wouldn't be ready for it the way he would answer that. So we see this answer in verse 22 as it continues on. He made me understand while he was, because while I was speaking, speaking with me and saying, oh, Daniel, through the angel Gabriel, I have now come out to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Therefore, consider the word and understand the vision. You know, when I first read this passage, like, 
I love that part which says, you are greatly loved. Did you know that? Maybe you didn't. I'm going to get a little interactive for you guys for a second. Could you turn to this person next to you and say, you are greatly loved? And tell the person on the other side, you are greatly loved. So if you didn't know, now you do. <laughs> but what's really interesting is that the, the purpose of why God would answer Daniel, the reason why God would even answer you or you answer me, and if you didn't know, you are greatly loved. We got a God in heaven who's at home saying, you know, I'm going to answer your petitions, your prayers, because you are greatly loved. God answers Daniel because he is greatly loved. And again, God answers Daniel with the, wait. Wait, I know you want to go home. The 70 years is right about to come. But because of the iniquities of Israel, because of their sin, there was going to be seven times more. Seven times seven, 490 more years to come. Verse 24, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a holy place. This word weeks here, it's, it's in their context, we got to explain, it's, it means seven years. It's very similar to when we say, how long is a decade? Ten years. How long is a century? One hundred. A weeks in the Hebrew language means seven years. So it's not seven days. So again, we've got to read in that mindset of what the weeks are, because the seven weeks, seven times 70 is 490. There's going to be 490 more years after the 70 years of just exile. But what does this, seven, this 490 years look like? It continues on. Like, this is what the interpretation is from Gabriel. So God has already been there. He sees us, and he tells them in verse 25, and after, know therefore and understand that from going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall, be given, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again, talking about the temple, with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. So he's been praying, ah, we're going to go home. He's like, okay, yes, you will go home. And you will, the temple is going to be rebuilt as well. But this home later, it's more, it, it starts breaking it down. It says there are seven sevens. So seven weeks plus another 62 weeks. Now, I have it on the chart here. I, I'll be real. I actually did use a calculator for this to try to figure out what 483 was. So 483 years. And I realized the easier way, if I didn't want to use a calculator, I should have just subtracted seven from 490, but I didn't do that. You're going to have tr- these 483 years is going to pass after you go home. Now, I'm going to put it all together. But what is this 483 years going to encompass? It's going to encompass. going to go verse back in verse 25. It's going to be, a t- uh, they're going to have troubled times. So 
well, what does that mean? So now, of course, in us, in hindsight, as we've been studying through the past weeks, the troubled times is when they go back, they're going to go back home, they rebuild the temple, the Greco-Roman Empire takes over, and they'll be, first, they'll be uh, oppressed. After the Greco-Roman Empire, then there's going to be the Roman Empire that comes in, they'll also be oppressed, because God knows their hearts, that within the 483 years, that they are going to turn from God. And they will be, they will, that's way how they will be judged in their troubled times. And so as we've been looking at, at the past few weeks, as we've been studying in chapter 7, where we, uh, Pastor Josh was going through how they, the judgments of, from the, the first division of, of the different empires, from the Babylonian, the gold, to the Medo-Persians, to the silver, to the Greeks, to the bronze, and then to the silver. And they talked about this little horn. And then we looked in chapter 8, we started to get a little bit more concise, and we started looking at to the second and the third kingdoms from the, Medo, the Medo-Persians, and then also the Greeks. And we talked about that little horn, and we learned that little horn is Antiochus, who defiled the temple. At this entire time, though, Daniel's reading this, is, so the, if the temple is going to get desecrated, it must mean it has to be rebuilt. And then what we see in this passage today, it gets even more detailed into, into this little horn. What happens during this desecration? Or what is to happen? So we'll continue, and then it continues on in this vision in verse 26. And after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary its end shall come with the flood, and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Who is this anointed one? So they're going to wait. So while we are in troubled times, an anointed one comes. Hindsight, we know this anointed one, the one who called himself the anointed one, was Jesus. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, we remember that Jesus was the one that was cut off. He was the one that what God, who knew no sin, but God made sin on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God. So, 483, Jesus is the anointed one. What does this all mean? I'm going to read a quote so I don't butcher the explanation of what this means. It says, seven sevens, so we from there, plus 62 sevens equals 483 sevens or years. So Gabriel predicted that after 483 years, Messiah would be cut off. Detailed chronological studies have shown that have been done that show that Jesus Christ's death occurred then. If one calculates 483 years from 444 BC, which is when Israel, the end of their 70 years of exile, one might conclude that the date for Messiah being cut off is AD 39. However, both the Jews and the Babylonians, in their context, observed years of 360 rather than 365 days per year, what we do. So if one calculates the number of days involved in the Jewish and Babylonian calendar year, the the year Messiah would be cut off comes out to AD 33. Let me read for you verse 27, and I'm going to wrap, put all that together. (laughs) Hopefully that's... And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week, and for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the creed end is poured out on the desolator. Okay. 
I have a chart. I like timelines. 444 BC was when Nehemiah was given, okay, you're going to go home. You've been praying for a long time, which starts the 483-year clock. But within the 483 years of these troubled times, we see this, this little horn that was prophesied. So they, they rebuilt the temple. They started bringing worship back in. But then in 168 BC, Antiochus comes in in that troubled times. He desecrates the temple. It's like, oh. But of course, they thought, is this it? Because uh, Judas Maccabeus, and then they were able to take the temple back. They, they restored it. And maybe he was the anointed one. Maybe he was the one to deliver us. And Perhaps we're home now. But the Romans come back in. They are oppressed again. They remind, okay, we are not home yet. Even though they're in Jerusalem, our home is, remember, that a home is in heaven. And so then in 33 AD, exactly 483 years after they returned home, they see this guy named Jesus, this anointed one. He's, he comes. But then yet he is what is prophesied. His He's cut off. So, and Jesus is reminding him that there is more to come. This is not your home. It wasn't Jerusalem. The temple is going to be desecrated. Jesus resurrects. But then that leaves one more week. 483 have gone. They probably waited around. 40 AD. Nothing happened. And so what we learn is that this one week is actually not literal. We're still living in this last week today. Because even then, after the, it's a reminder for us that the reason why we have this one week that we are still living in and why it has not been fulfilled, it's to remind us we're not home yet. Because even then, they thought, okay, maybe this was our home. We, we got the temple back. But then in AD 70, the temple was destroyed. The only thing left to this modern day, if you want to go to Jerusalem, is left is only a wall of the, of the temple. It hasn't been rebuilt. And then what we were supposed to wait for, this, this, what was Antiochus, the Antichrist? No, there is going to be another. Another that we are waiting for that will desecrate the temple of God. That will desecrate to remind us that we are not home yet. And so the, prayer, the prophecy and prayer is given to us as we are living in this last time, so this last week, that we are not home. Because for them, to look back, like, didn't all this happen already? So because the original readers in Persia, they were, when they were to read this in the, to the future tense, it's reminded, okay, your home is in Jerusalem. And if it doesn't, and if, it's, you, if you continue to pray and you're not home yet, you have to, to remind the next generation that they are not home as well. Pass on this knowledge to the next until it comes. And as they were waiting for the anointed one, even when Jesus came, it was a reminder. He reminded them, this is not your home. I am not the king of this land, this earth. He was not going to be the king of this world. And he reminded them in Matthew 24, as he was the fulfillment of the prophecy, as of what was to come, he reminds them and he tells them before he is about to be crucified. So when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of by the prophet Daniel, standing in the holy place, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in the Judah flee to the mountains. 
But Jesus, didn't we already do that? When Antiochus came and desecrated the temple back in what, 200 years ago, we all fled. That wasn't it. Or even when the Romans were to come to destroy the temple, that wasn't it. Because the last week that we're living in now is today. So we were just supposed to keep praying. They thought they were at the end of it. This was the end of the weeks. But it keeps going. And for Daniel, he was praying for 70 years. And for the Jews, they were praying for centuries. Or maybe for us, perhaps for us this morning, we have been feel like they have felt, or like Daniel, when you've been praying, like we are just at the cusp of the end, like, like getting an answered prayer, and then there's something else that happens. We've been praying, and then something else comes up that we are just dealing with in our life, another distress. We've been praying for a sickness. It's been, it's been perhaps getting better, but it all of a sudden it gets worse before it gets good. We've been praying to get better, perhaps in an addiction that we have in our own lives, and we've been doing well for many, many years, and then all of a sudden we just relapse. We seem to be finding hope, but then we just kind of fall back where Daniel is. And when we forget about home, it's when we forget to pray. And when we forget to pray, it's because we forget where our home is. And when we forget to home, we start to be able to settle for this world. When we forget, when we settle for this world, there were some folks who said, well, it's, even in Babylonian Persian times, it's not so bad. What if we just settled in Babylon? What if we just, just became like everybody else around them? And they never went back home. Some of the Jews never went back to Jerusalem. They stayed in Persia. And for us, some of us, we've gotten so attached to this world this temporary world, that we've forgotten what home is. And we just want to tie ourselves into this world, and we forget that God has called us back to a different place. So when we do that, we need to pray. Now, you might think, well, it's today's application. What my takeaway today, this morning is, well, Daniel, you could have just told me, go pray more. Yeah, I could do that. Did anybody else realize when our pastor was giving us a monthly challenge to pray every day that something was a little off about it? Like where, why did he ever ask us to pray? Isn't this something that we should be doing already? And I, I kind of was reflecting on that. I was like, okay, I, I need to pray to remember and remember to pray why aren't I praying? Or why aren't we praying? Or why, aren't, why are you, we struggling to even pray and talk to God? It should be something that we do all the time. I mean, I'm just trying to imagine, like, wait, our, our pastor had to ask us, could you pray every day and talk to God? Imagine for a moment, if I had to go to my boys and say, all right, guys, monthly challenge. Could you talk to your mom every day, just for five minutes? You know, I mean, just, I mean, you know, in, in, I mean, you got a lot of homework to do in third grade. I mean, it's like, or fifth grade. And, you know, but your challenge is that, you know, if you could just spend just a few minutes every day to tell your mother hi, could you do that? I mean, they would look at me and like, Daddy, that is silly. 
Why would that be even be a challenge? We love her. We know what she's done for us in our lives. It shouldn't, it's not hard for us to be able to talk to her and be appreciative of what she's ever done. But yet then for us, when our pastor says, could you guys talk to God for just a few moments every day? I mean, I, man, my schedule is so busy. And I, have we forgotten how much God has done for us in our lives? Where God created us to be with him, but yet our sins separate us from God. And our sins could never be repaid by any of the good works that we do. That paying the price of our sins, Christ died on that cross for us, that we could have this relationship with him, that we even get to talk to him. So everybody here can believe in that and be saved. And that life that we live with him starts now and forever. Because when we pray and talk to him, it's to remember that we are not home yet. We are still living in between two worlds. So could you imagine with me for a moment that our response when our pastor gives us the challenge to pray is like, well, that's pretty silly because we're already all doing it. We're already all talking to God because we know we're not home yet. And every time we see these prophecies and we were able to pray, we remember that we are still living in between two worlds. But if we're just like Israel, just like the Hebrew nation, we forget. We all forget. So we're commanded to return to your first love. In Revelation, the church in Ephesus forgot about this first love. They were doing so well. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 2 to 4, it says, I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. We're going to have the worship team come back up as we transition back to the time of worship and also communion. Perhaps for us this morning, we've just been so caught up with life. We've been caught up with misery. We've been doing so much for God. We've been just been serving, and we forgot about home. We forgot where God has created our lives to be, where our lives are we're the purpose of why we are even here so that when we see rumors of war or hear about prophecies, we read a prophecy, it's to remind us to pray. And so when we pray, we remember that we are living in between two worlds. And when we remember that we're living in between two worlds, like we got to remember to pray because I just want to go home. But I am not home yet. And I'm supposed to tell others that they are not home yet because they don't know. But even if we have not been praying, we've forgotten. Remember, you are greatly loved. And God answers your prayers because you are greatly loved. And God loves us no matter what. So if we've forgotten, let today be the start of a new day. That today will be the way I will start. I'm going to pray. I am going to talk to you, God, because of what you have done for me first. And I will even have a reminder in communion. Another reminder 
that he loves us no matter what, and that we are all greatly loved. Let me pray for us. God, we just thank you for that you love us no matter what in our lives. Despite our sins, despite how far we have forgotten about you, that every day your, new seas, your mercies are new every morning. That by your grace we are saved. That while yet we were still sinners, you died on the cross for us. And that you love the world. That anybody who just believe in your name shall not perish but have everlasting life. That God, you would make your son who knew no sin to become sin. So that we could be declared righteous before you that you have given us a remembrance in bread and this wine that Christ, your body, was broken. Your blood was spilled for us so that we could even pray to you. Today would be a new day, start of a new week, that we remember what you've done for us, that we will continue to be grateful that that you have gone to prepare a place for us because we are not home yet. But one day we will be. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.